medium fries and a large diet. Uh, you want anything? Nah, I'll just have some of yours. No, no, get your own meal. I don't want a whole meal. I just want a little... Oh, crap. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. Incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, a podcast where we watch and rewatch the animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, and I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll recap and review one episode, inject some trivia, and find our frostiest moments. This week, it's episode four, The Medusa Bug. Now, before we get started, Jess, something crazy happened this week. Oh, yeah? We've only released episode one, and not a day went by before the co-creator of Reboot himself, Gavin Blair, discovered our podcast. Yeah, that hasn't made me nervous at all. (laughs) Oh, the quickness of the internet. (laughs) We're really, really excited that he's listening and that other people are listening. This is our first podcast, and for me personally, this is a show that I really love, so I'm excited. Yeah, so you want to jump right in? Yeah, let's go. All right, so we're on season one, episode four, The Medusa Bug. This episode was written by Lane Reichert, and the story was by Lane Reichert, Ian Pearson, Phil Mitchell, and Gavin Blair. The Gavin Blair? The Gavin Blair. And we open up at Dots, who has a million windows open. It looks just like my computer. And she is working overtime. Now, I noticed that uh, one of those screens had like a goldfish scrolling across it. Was that like a babblefish kind of thing? It could have been. We actually get a really fun little thing in there. I don't know if you noticed, but you can now buy accessories as a binome, specifically bob hair. Yeah, the Adam Doritz look is trending. You too can get shiny chrome 90s boy band hair. Enzo wants to get somewhere on his apparently brand new legs. Maybe he hasn't broken them in yet. (laughs) But uh, Dot can't seem to pull herself away from her work, and she has to keep checking her phone. Oh, I feel that, Dot. She's worried about the Mitchell account. Just think, this was before smartphones, too. Yeah. Uh, He manages to get her outside for all of one moment where we get to see Bob's red floating Cadillac. Yeah, she's shocked it's running at all. It's a um, a hover car with no tires. It's just floating and requires some percussive maintenance. We're kind of thrown into this inside joke here of Bob's car never working. This is the first time we've seen Bob's car, never mind that it doesn't work. Though actually, we might have seen Bob's car in episode one. It just was Dot driving it. And as soon as they turn around, she's gone back inside and she's FaceTiming with Annie Potts, the binome. (laughs) Bob and Enzo walk in, they make some creepy faces, and then uh, grab Dot from behind and drag her off amid her protests. (laughs) Take a hint, fellas. But then they toss her into the back seat and drive away. You know, I really connect with Dot in this moment. (laughs) This has happened to me on more than one occasion. (laughs) You were just grabbed and tossed into a car? (laughs) Almost needing to. Put down your work, Jessica. Put down your work. You can do it. You can leave now. We get to see another floating car now. Yeah, Megabyte meets Hack and Slash on the bridge outside mainframe. I think this is another moment of prescience here, because this was before we had the Hummer limo, and yet it looks like Megabyte has a Hummer limo. The back end of which should have completely veered off the edge of that bridge, because he he should have plummeted right down. (laughs) And he's got a cool new, like, fidget device. He does. It kind of reminds me of uh, the chocolate frog things from Harry Potter. (laughs) The the Hack and Slash get all excited. Oh, it's a box! It's a weapon of some kind! Ah!" We infer that he's stolen it from from Hexadecimal, who is immediately coming after him in a rage, threatening to destroy them all. There's like an explosion, and she comes out from the ground, and she just demands the he return the device. They both vamp for a bit, until a Hexadecimal summons a pile of giant bloodworms to destroy them. Hex loves her nulls. 
So normally gnolls are various colors. I think maybe they're all red here because Hex is controlling them or like Hex's rage is usually depicted in red colors. So it could be something to do with that. Uh, but they don't get very far because Hack and Slash lift up the entire bridge and drop it down. Yeah, and when they do that, the edge of the bridge, when it comes up, is like a good foot away from where their hands are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the, the bridge falls in the water, and the sound that the worms make as they fall is kind of awful. Ooh, poor worms. Poor nulls. <laughs> Megabyte drives away, and his minions pull up with these rocket launcher tanks that start firing right at Hex. Yeah, so, a little bit of a spoiler here. I'm not going to give you the name, but those tanks have a name. <laughs> okay. And it's going to be fun when we get to them. <laughs> Well, Hexadecimal pulls a move where she closes her hand and, like, looks at her fingernails, but for a second it looked like she was about to flip them the bird. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> but she puts on her scary face, which is absolutely terrifying. And then she blows them all to smithereens. Uh, which brings us over to Megabyte's lair, where he is... Monologuing. Yes. <laughs> He's he's blaming Hex the whole time. He's like, oh, she's the problem because of her all of her increased secrecy and security. He's blaming the victim. He's like, she was obviously hiding something, so of course I went and stole. It was her fault, you know. Her increased security and strict privacy led me to my victory. And he doesn't even know what this device even is. He just like presses it and he's like, we're going to find out. <laughs> he just knows that Hex wants it. And if Hex wants it, then he needs to take it away. Which I guess gives you a little bit of insight into their relationship. It's not very healthy. <laughs> well, as soon as he presses it, he immediately regrets it because his arm starts to turn gray. I've made a huge mistake. Oh no, it was a trap all along. Uh, Hexadecimal pops up and taunts him through a vid window and he becomes completely encased in carbonite, Han Solo style. And Hex is maniacally laughing the entire time. And then we get the cut over to Dot relaxing lazily on a picnic blanket. Dot here looking pretty good. Now you had said that they had like toned her down, her curvaceousness. Like how much did they actually reduce? I'm not sure. She's looking pretty fine. <laughs> she does look good there. <laughs> and she is using it to her advantage, I think, just to torture Bob a little bit in that scene. Yeah, she's, she's just chilling out and she's got like a snow leopard print blanket there. It was funny if it was still, you know, maybe like a decade later, that snow leopard print might be a uh, reference to like Mac OS. Yes, because this is before we had uh, cats attached to every Apple operating system. And we get to see Frisket again. Yeah, actually by name. Uh, we hadn't seen him since the first episode and we really don't see him much here because he's being chased by Stone. Yeah, the gray carbonite is spread across the entire city and it like envelops Dot's diner and comes and it like corners Frisket. He gets encased and falls over, which they show three times and not even from very different angles. It just like repeats it, <laughs> just like clunk, clunk, clunk. It was very traumatizing for poor Enzo. So they're all running back to the car to try and get away from this stone stuff. And there's a lot of dramatic car stalling that's happening here before they manage to actually fly away. And they head straight to Fong's at the central core. Oh, and we get our first, this is bad. This is very bad. One of our many catchphrases. <laughs> so they get to Fong's and he explains that the carbonite is a bug and that they're all at risk, except for Bob, who's probably immune. Which he doesn't know for sure, but... No, probably, yeah. He's like, you're probably immune as a... Because he's from the supercomputer, so his his code's a little bit different. Yeah. Enzo immediately assumes it's Megabyte and calls him Megadump. <laughs> Which was great. But uh, Dot and Bob talk and they decide that the bug is too random and chaotic to be Megabyte style, so it's likely Hex that's the culprit. Yep, and you know what? I don't see it as random and chaotic, which, you know, ends up being the 
plot point that wins the day later on. Right. It started at um, Megabyte's lair and just spread outward from there. Yeah, and is turning everything into like the opposite of chaotic, which is very still. Yeah. But obviously, Hexadecimal wasn't thinking about that when she came up with it. But it ends up, you know, saving the day at the end. Fong pulls up a map of Mainframe, which looks like a game piece from Trivial Pursuit. Did you notice that? I did. Well, that's what we see every intro. Right, but this is the first time I noticed it specifically as like a Trivial Pursuit game piece. Yeah, the little sections of pie. And he explains that the lower energy items decay first, followed by higher energy sprites, and we see, there's that five again! Yeah, this time I definitely saw him. I really like the evolution <laughs> chart that we get to see here, including the um, sexy dot ripoff at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fong takes Bob into a private room, and what is that? He tells the door, uh, goes to the wall and says, Greek action? Which opens the wall. <laughs> which I don't. I didn't quite understand. Okay, well now I got to go back and listen to it because I'm fairly certain it's not Greek action, and I think I understand what you're reading into that. So I just don't know why <laughs> Greek action. But he gives Bob an ancient virus erase command, which uh, Bob calls. He says, "Oh, it's so primitive." Like, Who are you calling primitive, Bob? Look at you. <laughs> Well, to be fair, it does look like the giant pink erasers that we used when we were in elementary school. Yeah. But, you know, they they stick some random stuff on it, and that might help. Yeah. He says he'll boost it with an add-on, which he calls crude but simple. Just like you, Bob. (laughs) And uh, Fong says, make it so. Which I think you've inferred what the reference there is. Which is actually one of, like, two rapid-fire Star Trek things, because the next scene... um, So hover cars are pulling in and parking, and we get the Star Trek transporter sound right then. There's there's a lot of Star Trek fans on the show, or at least one very enthusiastic one. But uh, we get to see Dot overseeing the evacuation, because she loves to work, and all of Mainframe flooding in as uh, Bob heads out to Lost Angles. Uh, And Joe cheers him on for Frisket! (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm pretty sure Bob is not really concerned about. Yeah, the binomes get excited as Bob flies out, and uh, then you find out even Hexadecimal is watching it happen. She's like sitting and she's watching the episode on her own little screen. (laughs) She's watching the episode, but specifically the part where Megabyte's lair turns to stone, and she's watching it on loop over and over again, getting intense (laughs) satisfaction over it. She's like going frame by frame like we have to sometimes. Which leads to one of my favorite scenes ever, I think, in Reboot. Uh Uh-huh. Which is Bob heading her way, eraser in hand, and she's going, oh no, oh no. And then Bob's butt comes right into that mirror and she goes, oh yeah. (laughs) Leaning back in her chair with her hand on her chest, (laughs) admiring the view. Oh no, oh no. Yes. She is super into that butt that is now three episodes later we finally get that butt. (laughs) (laughs) So she feigns horror that her plan is being foiled as uh, Bob throws the device down towards the city, which erupts into a giant fireball. Uh, Which, yeah, that's how erasers work. But it's it's ineffective, however, and the virus is unharmed. Which, she does this really funny bit, too, where she, like, wipes her hand over her face three times and goes, Happy, happy, happy! Happy, happy, happy! I loved that scene. It was so good. And each time, you get to see her increase of happiness 
from mildly happy to very happy to, oh my God, terror. Terrifying. Bob actually kind of mimics my thoughts here because he goes, uh, where's a GameCube when you need one? Because it's right about the time in the episode when one would come down. Definitely. We're at the end of the second act. It is GameCube time. It is time for a game, but none comes. Yep. This is a different episode. We're starting to see a little bit break from the normal flow of things. We have an established formula. We get two acts where the plot gets developed. We get one act where the plot is interrupted by a game of some sort. And then we get the conclusion where the plot is rushed <laughs> into a one-sentence recap. Somehow the game always brings the plot to conclusion. We all learn our lesson from the game, but there's no game this time, so what's Bob going to do? So we see the core go into lockdown to protect everyone from the Medusa bug. It brings on all its bridges. It puts up this force field barrier outside. And we get to see a little bit what's going on inside, which uh, we get to see that everyone has set up shanty homes already. Yeah, we see a scene of hobo binomes, including uh, the toque binome there. He's cooking some marshmallows. Uh, And then we get to see someone start playing the blues on their harmonica. Yeah, there's a soup kitchen. It's a rough time. The soup kitchen has the seven from last episode with a xenomorph mouth to snag some food. I didn't see that. Like these, this xenomorph mouth keeps eluding me. I had to go back and like. How did you not see it? They had a whole clip of it this time. Well, I had to go back and like find it. I I guess I must have thought it was his arm just grabbing something. This seven is like your white whale. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So additionally, we also see a baby binome uh, who's playing with a Bob doll. That's not a Bob doll. That's a teddy bear. He's wearing Bob's clothes, and he's blue. But it's a bear head. (laughs) Okay, it's a Bob bear, then. (laughs) It's a teddy Bob. It's a teddy Bob. Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. Yeah, it falls to the floor dramatically. Well, no, first we get to see the dad scare the baby with a hexadecimal mask that he somehow has and thought would be a really good idea to scare his kid with. Yeah, I don't know why he would have that. And yeah, the stone comes closer and closer and closer and eventually breaks down that force field and everyone inside is turned to stone, including our heroes. What's going to happen? Dun, dun, dun. Well, Baba bursts from his stone shell and says, no, three times. No! No! All that he could say was no. <laughs> he goes up to the the still figure of Fong. He's like, "You were right. I am immune." Oh, he's so sad about it, understandably. <laughs> but does that mean he's going to let Hex get away with it? No, she's in here monologuing herself. Oh, you missed my cue. I said, "Does he think he's going to let Hex get away with it?" No. I don't think so. Oh, fuck. I'm so bad. <laughs> you can tell you're a first time watcher. <laughs> Hexadecimal's monologuing in her lair, and. Uh, And uh, Bob flies in and kicks her in the back from behind. She's got a lot of fun stone citizens of mainframe in here. So we get to see some stock images of binomes. And I'm pretty sure we get to see more alternate versions of Dot. Alternate Dots. Pretty much the same Dot model, but with slightly different hair and turned to stone. Right now we only have two female models, and that's Hex and Dot. Um, But there is a bit of misplaced dialogue here. Did you catch this? Yeah, I thought it was really odd, too, but I was kind of rolling with it. He kicks her, and she goes, I sense a presence. And Bob says, that would be me. And then she says, 
That's a good one. Infect me with the Medusa? How clever. But he has not tried to infect her yet. In fact, then that's when Bob whips the infected teddy bear at her, and then she stops it in midair and then continues her lines. Like, I think that bit of dialogue where she says, how clever, try to infect me, should have come after he threw the bear at her, because otherwise it makes no sense chronologically. Oh, yeah, definitely. Either we're seeing Hexadecimal be very future-telling here, she's got prescient powers, or it has to be dialogue issues. But personally, I just found it to be really funny, because we have this interaction of her saying, I sense a presence after she's literally been kicked out of her chair by Bob. (laughs) And Bob yelling, that would be me. Like, no, duh, Bob, you literally just kicked her out of her chair. Well, I thought that bit was funny, but then there was the rest of it that I thought was just completely like in the wrong spot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was what happened there. Come on, Gavin. Get it together. Hey, we've got one really important listener. Don't mess this up for us, Ben. <laughs> yeah, her claws uh, end up growing out like Wolverine, and then she lunges at him. And uh, he looks like he's being choked by a noose here, but she's not touching him at all. So her claws grow out like Death Strike, FYI. Megabyte's claws grow out like Wolverine. Excuse me. <laughs> But yeah, she is threatening him with violence, and Bob doesn't know what to do next. To which he switches tactics. He drops a logic bomb on her. Does. Instead of using, I don't know, kick powers or (laughs) stone powers, he instead tries to connect with her on a human level and understand her motivations. And let her know that uh, if she wants to be chaotic this is not the way to go about it yeah he's like super into it he's like hey mainframe's really great now that it's so peaceful and predictable there's no chaos at all and she's like well that won't do of course (laughs) (laughs) and it takes her like two seconds to go oh well you know i think she literally snaps her fingers and then control z's the carbonite if hexadecimal didn't have the nature that she has there'd be no stopping her yeah she could definitely like ruin this whole world if she wasn't quite so flighty yes so they're pretty lucky that she just likes living on her own thing and causing trouble every now and then so we close on uh, bob gloating to dot that he's finally gotten her to relax we get a nice little reunion moment between frisket and enzo now a game comes down and everyone's like oh whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the end so a couple things i noticed in this episode bob's license plate was a barcode yes it was if you're a fan of reboot there is a reboot facebook group called reboot revival and they were bringing that up just as we're about to record this oh really someone actually decoded the barcode and it says sec so gavin got in on that and said that it's probably not a reference to anything it's more than likely someone grabbed an image of a barcode to throw it off there so sorry about that i also noticed when they're having the picnic there's a minecraft tree in the background oh there you go again with the prussians <laughs> though it's funny you bring up the barcode because when i was looking at the ad for bob hair they had a number that you can call so i sat there and tried to figure out what the number would be because it was of course written in binary but it's not like an actual phone number which made me sad i'm hoping it was a phone number to something but it's a couple numbers short for that <laughs> So it seems like Hex and Megabyte kind of have like a spy versus spy thing going on. Like they're always kind of going after each other. But uh, Hex always seems to have the upper hand on Megabyte. Well, again, I think it's just because she is super powerful. We can see that here, that she could rip mainframe apart with her bare hands if she wanted to. She just doesn't want to. She has no interest in that. But we do learn a little bit later that they will call each other brother and sister. So that is their, you know, ish relationship. (laughs) 
is this kind of sibling rivalry, I guess you could say. Now, uh, contrary to last week, teamwork did not save the day. Bob defeated Hexadecimal on his own with his own reverse psychology word ninjutsu. And not even Fong's devices helped. He was useless too. This was the Bob show with Dot and Enzo just there to be saved. Oh, it was the Bob and Hex show. (laughs) I really did like the way that they ended it though, because... I enjoyed that it wasn't, you know, it was him by himself, but it wasn't him by itself with an all-powerful weapon or, you know, Kung Fu didn't help him. It was talking to someone. It was communication. Okay. So what did you think of the episode? Wasn't bad. I was not nearly as irritated by the pacing as I have been in the past. Uh, It seemed to move along pretty quickly. At at a good pace for you. I really liked this one. Uh, I especially enjoyed how there were stakes in this one. Yes. I feel like in the other episodes, even... The one with the erase command that Bob was carrying around. Everything felt a little bit, a, you know, a one-off. Like, oh, it could be an erase command, but we're still going to make jokes about it stuff. Like, this one was a little bit more dramatic, and we're kind of getting a hint to the kind of drama we'll see in later seasons. Mm. So do you have any bits and bites this week? Uh, so we've got a few. Uh, most of them we mentioned while we were talking about the episode. So we get two different Star Trek references, uh, Fong's Make It So and the sound of transporter beams. We get to see the bob hair, which I thought was great. But the one that I thought was really fun was the evolution chart that we get to see. So evolution chart goes from null to binome, specifically zeros and then ones, to the weird number five. I'm assuming the seven is included in there as well. To this strange blocky looking sprite to a full-on normal sprite that looks like Dot. What about this strange blocky looking sprite? I think we're going to get into this a little bit. Yep, that's what I wanted to talk about. So first, I thought it was just a strange blocky looking sprite. Uh, But I was looking up some videos that we're going to talk about in a bit, and I got to find all these videos that they used to try and sell the show back in the day. And the first one there was this strange blocky looking sprite. So I'm pretty sure that 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 weird looking sprite is actually a reference to early Bob. So the first promo is very short. Uh, We've got a very simple design and a weird deep voiced Bob. The reboot adventures take place here in the mainframe. Uh, He says that uh, someone might steal your lips. Bob was even wearing the Enzo shoulder pads. And then there's uh, uh, what's apparently an early version of Megabyte. They call him Bad Data. That's me, Megabyte. I love to rumble and I hate to fumble. He's a real Joe Pesci type. Yeah, they, hadn't, they hadn't signed on Tony J yet. And he has a partner named Hacker. Which would obviously become Hack and Slash, I'd link later on. And also one other character we haven't met yet. The Bob character, he says, uh, Buy this show and they'll give me my lips back. That second one... The gang are normal-looking white guys instead of being blue and green. Yeah, I thought that was really off-putting. <laughs> and I, I think that might have been why they ended up changing it, is because we still had this weird uncounty valley. At that point, even Pixar were avoiding doing people. Like in Toy Story, it's mostly about these toys, which you can get away with being less realistic with. So I think that's why they moved over to the blue and the green, because they were trying to really get away from that uncanny valley look. But we get to see the shower that he had in episode one. We get more fast food gags, and then even stranger-looking frisket. And we get to see Mike the TV. Hey, Mike in the morning, coming at you. Today's headlines. You know, Mike in the morning can become a real pain in the morning. Who you haven't met yet, but he's going to be coming in soon. Yeah, no, you mentioned him earlier at some point. Uh, yes, so Mike the TV is, seems to be fully fleshed character in this little intro thing, which is pretty great. So is this Mike TV as we know him like in the future? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I think they made some slight changes, but for the most part, you've, you've pretty much got the whole guy right there. Oh, boy. 
And uh, Dot and Enzo are at the Chip and Sip Diner instead of Dot's. And uh, Bob's narration is almost like a noir movie. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Enzo, the kids are rash with an attitude. We get another uh, Knights and Castles game and then a rapid-fire clip show of all the shots that we just saw, <laughs> like, ten seconds ago. <laughs> and then there's a weird shot of Bob flying through a spiral tube, and then it cuts to a creepy-ass Def Leppard music video for some reason. <laughs> I did think that was fun. Then the third promo is set to Sonny and Cher's The Beat Goes On, and it's largely a bunch of early test clips and character rotations. It's ready! All right. Presenting the new reboot promotional tape. You gotta press play. We had to see Dot wearing an eye patch and having this cool gun. And a more evil-looking scuzzy. You can see here, they really started nailing down all of the characters and what they wanted to do with them. Yeah, the colors are accurate. Bob and en- Enzo actually looks pretty much exactly the same as we know him. Bob's a little bit different. And if I'm remembering correctly, we actually get to see that Dot at some point in the series. Eye patch Dot? I kind of dug it. Yeah, it's pretty great. So we get Enzo kind of awkwardly yo-yoing, and he says, ah, the show looks a lot better now. And then Bob's like, that's because the computers are a lot faster. And then we get to see uh, Dot in glasses, too. And was this the bustier version of Dot here? Uh, Possibly. I don't think they ended up toning her down very much. There is, in the commentary of the DVD, we get to hear that one of the producers went into standards and practices with a Barbie doll and essentially showed everyone what a naked Barbie doll looks like and said, this is what you have a problem with right now. There's nothing here. (laughs) (laughs) Your kids play with Barbie dolls all the time. This is what we're dealing with here. And she does get glasses later on, too. So, you know, if that's your thing. I I definitely dig her in glasses, for sure. We're going to go ahead and post those YouTube links on the social media so you can go take a look. But they're really fun. Alphanumeric. Well, I guess it's time to talk about the game. Uh, but wait, there is no game. What? There was at the very end. Yeah, we don't get to see what it is. (laughs) What type of game do you think it would have been based on the episode? Let's see. The point of the episode, I think, was to listen to other people and to understand their motivations. Yeah, there's no video games for that in 1994. There's plenty of them now, though. You can go check out something like Gone Home. Could have Uh, been like Echo the Dolphin. You don't know. (laughs) Uh, But instead of talking about the game... Uh, we can instead talk about the alternate ending. Tell me about what happened. So there were some production problems with next week's episode, episode five. So instead of delaying the episode with nothing to watch, uh, they put out little mini episodes. Uh, The mini episodes are actually just reworkings of the clips that we see in this episode, but kind of backwards. Megabyte gets a hold of the Medusa bug again, and then Bob goes to Hex for help. Hex is more than happy to see Bob, by the way. Oh, yes. Well, you know, we got to see how interested she is in parts of him, at least. But he rebuffs her advances, and he talks to Fong in a vid window. But Fong gets turned to Carbonite, but not before telling Bob that he needs to find something called the tree-ass effect. And what is he going to do? Well, what he always does, he jumps into a portal and then says that he fixed it. (laughs) Yeah, this episode doesn't have much of a plot. He pretty much immediately solves the problem by disappearing for five seconds into the supercomputer, Mm -hmm. coming back, and then that's it. Right, so now I'm confused about the timeline here, because we're still looking at a copyright date of 1991, but these are airing in 1994, so if there's that much of a, a, like a three-year gap between when they were made and when they aired, like what's being copyrighted that episode five wasn't finished? I would think that they would have like the season completely done before they air any of it. You're not working on like animating these the day before it airs, like this isn't South Park. I don't know if it was not finished or there was an issue with it that they had to go back and redo one of the scenes but I wasn't able to find any information on that. 
This is wrong. This is all wrong. Well, did you find yourself a golden pigtail this week? I had three different moments that I thought were great. One, Hex's evil face when she blows up Megabyte's army. Two, Hex's evil face when she goes, happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. And three, Hex's face when she goes, oh, yes. <laughs> when she's looking at Bob Butt. So pretty much Hex's face. Uh, but I'm going to have to give it to the Bob Butt <laughs> moment. Oh, boy. It was just so great and over the top. And with all the problems they had with practices and standards, I don't know how they got that one through. <laughs> what about you? I almost gave it to the five again for the second week in a row. But upon rewatching the episode, I noticed that when one of the binomes puts on the mask and scares the baby, the baby definitely shits its pants. Oh, it does. There's a fart sound and then the diaper sags. And that is what I'm going to give the golden pigtail to this week. <laughs> so what are you enjoying this week, Jessica? Anything you want to recommend? Yes, actually. So about a year ago, I was part of a comic called Dates, Volume 2, an anthology of queer historical fiction. And I got to do a comic in it with my friend Claudia, and I was really excited. The publishers of Dates have just released a new Kickstarter. It's called a Survey of Queer Looks, 1892-2018. It brings together seven amazing illustrators to create a survey of queer aesthetics and worn symbols from the 1880s to the near present. The looks span from carnation codes in the 1880s to queer blue divas of 1920s and 30s, and even to the denim and pins trends in the present day. The zine contains 12 gorgeous fashion plate style illustrations and is 16 pages in total. If you go to marginspublishing.com, you can go check it out. When this episode drops, you'll still have about a week left to check it out. It's already hit its first stretch goal in the first 24 hours. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. There's a couple pins you can get now with the stretch goal. And it's only like six bucks to get the real book. So you should go buy it. Check it out. All right. Sounds good. What about you, Ben? I'm going to say something controversial here. And that is that the writing of Ernest Klein is bad. <laughs> And somebody who agrees with me is uh, Mike Nelson of Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks. He and Connor Lestoka, also of Rift Tracks, have done a podcast called 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back, where they tear apart the very bad writing of Ernest Cline. They go through chapter by chapter and try to find the dumbest sentences and agonize over all the incessant lists. They recently finished the bafflingly acclaimed Ready Player One and have now moved on to his lesser acclaimed follow-up Armada. It's painful but delightful in all the best ways that Rift Tracks and MST3K can be. And that's called 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. Well, as someone who also found Ready Player One to be rather mediocre, I'm going to have to look into that. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. All right, so do we have any feedback this week? We do. We have a five-star review from Magic Walrus. I'm going to be honest here. I know who Magic Walrus is. He's going to guest star on our podcast in a few episodes. But thank you for the five-star review. <laughs> yeah, no, we'd love to get more ratings and reviews and uh, feedback from all of you. Tweet at us as much as you can. Share the podcast. And if you follow us on Twitter, as previously mentioned, show co-creator Gavin Blair has been filling us in on some fun facts that we've been talking about in the show. Specifically, the lack of butt from episode one. Yes, apparently Ian Pearson, one of the other co-creators, noticed that last of butt immediately and called to get that man an ass <laughs> unfortunately they weren't able to do it before the start of the episode but you know oh boy okay so what's coming up next week next week is episode five the tiff what do you remember from this one so i know from looking at the episode that they're spelling it like in the image format file is there another way to spell that no but they put it in all caps the dot tiff <laughs> <laughs> And then beyond that, I know that Bob and Dot fight in it, but I don't really remember much at all. Is this how she gets the eye patch? <laughs> no. 
But I do think we're, we're going to get to see more of their relationship, which is going to be fun. Okay, well, that's been our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme music, Spasmatica Polka. You can find me online at, at @dudworks on Twitter and at Dudworks Art on Facebook. And you can find me online at, at Stirvino Lady. That's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. And I'm pretty much on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, all those stuff. You can find our show at Incoming Game Pod on Twitter and Incoming Game Cast on Facebook, as well as IncomingGameCast.com. So what if for the outro, we have some kind of alternate ending? Like what do you got in mind? I don't know. Until next time, stay frosty, folks. Game over. User wins. Let's try that again one more time. (laughs) Does that mean he's going to let Hex get away with it?